Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. Right now with me, I have a radio and TV legend. If you lived around the DMV area, that's DC, Maryland, Northern Virginia, you know this man's face and voice being on such stations such as Magic, KYS, the list goes on and on, and also BET. The voice soothes you on video soul, video vibrations, soft notes. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause and welcome to Beyond the Album Cover for the captain, Paul Porter. Mr. Porter, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover. Man, Sorry. thank you, man. You know, it's late my time. I'm getting old. I, I'm almost ready to take my nap. Amen. Well, now, once I heard I was going to be on with you, I'm ready to roll, bro. Hey man, I know the feeling. I'm at that age where you appreciate a good nap. I didn't understand it in the 20s and the early teens, yeah, but I, get up I understand at 3 it now. That's why. Yeah, but you know what they say: early bird catches the worm. Yeah, it's nice and quiet and peaceful early. You get everything done. Mm-hmm. Get your meditation in or your prayer in, and get your reading in, exercise in before you start your day. And I think that's the best way you go about starting your day when you're able to get that in early without any distractions. Yeah, I'm working. I'm working. I'm ready for you, man. Come on, get start shooting the questions. I'm ready to give answers. Yes, sir. I got my six shooter ready. Ping, 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 ready to go. So, growing up in Queens, did you grow up listening to what was called at the time black stations or listening to all stations regardless of format? Well, well, back in the day, man, in Queens, there was this uh, black AM called WWRL. Super 16, and they played all the biggest, the mighty mighty OJs on Super 16. And they had all the super jacks, man. So radio was more entertainment then where, you know, you're hearing James Brown, like that's, that was a big part of my, my indoctrination to uh, the music industry. When I heard as a little boy, James Brown say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And he lived 40 blocks up the street on the same street I did. But you would have to ride your bike to see James Brown's black gated fence with JB on it. And you might catch him once or twice, but you would always see the limos and the nice car. With that record, I've been calling myself black ever since I heard it. Ah, man. And a little bit of a sidebar is kind of related to James Brown because this person that I had a chance to see when I was in college at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro played under James Brown. So I didn't really know the repertoire at the time of this person. He was an adjunct professor for the School of Music and come to find out it was Fred Wesley. Oh, really? Yeah, Fred Wesley. And I was like, he's right there at the School of Music and you didn't even invite him for an interview. And I still kick myself to this day knowing that I had the man who was underneath the man said, Fred! Yeah, but he was the man. Fred! If you listen to Doing It to Death, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, sir. That, now, that's a legend, Fred Wesley. Yes, sir. A legend indeed. Now, on this station that you mentioned, who are some of the jocks that were most popular? Wow. Back then, I just remember Gary Bird and the GBE because he came to my school in the eighth grade. And Gary Bird had a record out with Stevie Wonder. Uh, Every brother ain't a brother. 
and every sister ain't a sister. And it was sort of like poetry and rap at the same time. But uh, he came to the school and he just electrified me because that was the age of like golden voices. Everybody had those Isaac Hayes big pipes and everything was a lot different than in terms of diction and delivery. We were trying to homogenize into the world. So, you know, it, it, it was just a different feel, man. I'm glad I got a taste of it. Right, and also what I noticed too from radio stations back in the 60s and 70s, they used to do hit surveys where it would be the top 30 or whatever predetermined number of songs for your station every week, what was hot. And a lot of the mics on those stations used a lot of reverb. For those of you that don't know, reverb means echo, where it would sound bigger and fuller. Yeah, well, that 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 made, you know, AM radio, man, you could catch some stations in four or five states. I mean, I used to catch Detroit in New York or WABC in New York was a clear channel station. So radio had a lot of power then, but those are the old days. We're up to the new now. Mm, so you were able to hear CKLW out of uh, Win out of Windsor, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Mm. You know, but back then I used to, listen to basketball games on the radio. Growing up as a kid, we would sit in the living room and listen to Marv Albert. You know, Sixth Avenue, end of the garden, running, scoop, no good, you know. And that's how, that's how good people used to be. They used to have to paint a picture out to you. And the same thing with personalities. We sort of take it for granted. Right. But there were a lot of, you know, just messengers on the air that just conveyed and changed neighborhoods because black radio was huge from 60s and 70s and even early 80s it was the one source of uh truth in the uh, black community that in the church and you know that's changed with corporatization of of course and we're going to get into the telecom act of 96 which led to the deregulation of the broadcast industry. Now you mentioned the black radio station being the truth teller for the black community. And we cannot mention this station and this man and the impact that he's had in broadcasting. WBLS and the late great Frankie Crocker, Chief Rocker. What was a big influence on you about Mr. Frankie Crocker and the way that he was able to mix and program R&B records alongside world records that U.S. audiences never even heard of until he put it on BLS. I mean, Frankie was the baddest programmer of all time. They don't make them like that anymore. He just did what he wanted to do in the biggest city in New York at the right time. So, you know, you know, I remember in high school, I used to listen to Frankie and everybody would listen to his classic sign off. And I can't remember all the footage. You can Google it. But it would be this long, you know, if I die, let me die one year and a day minus you. So good friends like, you know, he just had the whole thing. And every night you would hear the song Moody's Blue. There I go. So later on in my career, I was working at BET and I got to work with Frankie at the end of his career. Wow. So it was wild. Frankie fired me. Matter of fact, when Frankie hired me, he said, man, you sound so good. You sound like me. I want you to sit in and do my show. So I'm like, wow, I'm starting on BLS sitting in for Frankie Crocker. 
And the one thing that Frankie said I couldn't say was my name. I said, what? He said, never say your name. This way they'll think it's me. And I was like, wow, this is crazy, you know. But yeah. anyway, I did it. Yeah, man. Frankie Crocker, a radio broadcasting legend. He was also one of the first VJs on VH1, along with uh, Don Imus, who was over at 66 WNBC with a young Howard Stern. And Howard Stern got his start in the Northeast as well as you. So how did you end up at WRBB at Northeastern University? College, man. I went to college to play basketball. I had some game from New York, Christ the King High School. Still got a mean crossover at 60. But but anyway. Uh, Giving buckets. Yeah, but, uh, you know, college radio was huge back then, especially in Boston, because Boston only had a black AM daytimer. So college radio stations, uh, Northeast and WRBB at another station, WTBS and WERS, MIT and ERS station. I mean, Emerson University station was ERS. And we all would compete and play music and give parties and I would DJ. It was the best time of my life. College radio was pure. I became program director there. And Northeastern was all white. And I turned the format all black because we won by election. You know, but oh, wow. we we did it the right way. We followed the rules and took the station over. And a lot of good people. Wendy Williams came from there. Mike Shannon, who's on Sirius. Diana King, who's on Jay Dixon, a program. I mean, the list goes on. I think we got more people in the business than Syracuse. Yeah, and uh, didn't Stephen Hill get his start on WRBB as well? No, no, hell no. He was at WILD. W-I-O-D. Now, with W-I-O-D, did you have any interactions with Elroy? Yeah, I knew Elroy. Elroy used to do the Caribbean show. He came on after me. I was at ILD first, and Elroy came. Later, Stephen Hill came. I left uh, Boston to uh, go to D.C. Donnie Simpson hired me in 1982, so I was the young guy at the big union station with engineers, it was a good time, you know. Yeah. Being in D.C., early 80s, making plenty of money, got a TV show. I, I was, you know, my head was like booming. Yeah, I got my start in college radio as well. And with, as far as urban content, you pretty much had to get the program schedule and look for it because when I first started, they had me on graveyards, uh, 2 to 4 a.m., and then they bumped me up to 12 to 2. Then I got 7 to 9 Friday nights and 9 to 11 Friday nights. So was it almost kind of like that amongst the African-American students on campus at Northeastern where, like, psst, this show is coming on and they're only playing the music that we Oh, like. no, that, that, that was the thing that I was trying to tell you, Ben, that we took it over. Like, I studied, like, to become a member, all you had to do was go to three meetings in a row. So there was a spot in the quad where, you know, Northeastern was 98% white. So all the black students used to stay on one step. So I would ask people to go to the meeting and become members in three weeks because we're going to have an election. Well, we got enough people to control the vote. We got an election. I became program director. I made it black 24 hours a day and gave all people black or white shows, but we had to play R&B and funk. 
So, of course, a lot of the white students left. Wow, way to flex your muscle, because the format at our college station, it was more freeform, where you had your heavy stuff in rotation during the day, but after 7 o'clock, that was when you had your more specialty shows. But I wish I would have had that power when I was in college, where we can have a majority vote and change the whole format. But the audience... Yo, the, the one thing that I've noticed about this industry is that the people that make the rules have the fun. So learn how to make rules. You know what I mean? When you have your own business or when you're in control, you make your own rules. And we follow some dumb stuff, but the rule makers are it in this industry. Mm -hmm. Now going down from Boston to DC. So what was that like that first airship going on KYS? Man, that was the best. You know, Donnie Simpson was my boss. I, I'm in a hot studio, but anyway. Donnie Simpson was in my bo my boss then, and he had me do a show called Night Flight, where I would, I started 10 p.m. to two in the morning at KISS. And it was cool, man. It was a great time, great station. So like three months after I got there, we went number one for a couple of years. It was owned by NBC. We had engineers. I'm a young kid making 65 grand in DC at 23. I was happy. Right. In 80, 1982. That wow. was big money back then. Yeah. So just in today's dollars, people now set the scene a little bit. Back in the early days of radio, depending on what market you were in, you had a separate booth where you had the board operator that would put in all of the carts. Yeah, those were union the shops. They got rid of those in the mid eighties. Yeah, you know, there's still a couple left, but yeah. Yeah, and I always kind of found that funny whenever I would see videos of old air, there's a video on YouTube of John Records Landecker out of WLS. And I think Yvonne Daniels was his board op. And oh, yeah. I just found yeah. it kind of interesting where you're a big time jock in a big market, but you don't work the board or the cart machine or whatever. But like you said, those are pretty much union jobs. Yeah, but still you had a feel for it. There was nothing like having a good engineer and all you had is a mic button that you would lean in, push the button and be like 93 KYS, boom, boom. And you had a clock to tell you how long you had to talk. And there was nothing like hitting the post. Now everything's digital and it fits in automatically on breaks and it's it's a whole different feel. I, I know the feeling. Kids nowadays won't know what a front sail, what a back sail is, yeah. walking uh -huh. the ramp and be sure to get out of that 30 minute intro before that first note. Yep, you got it. Yep, and you had to be tight on it too. And number one rule of thumb that they always tell you, no dead air. Yeah. No yeah. dead air. Oh yeah, you gotta run, have tight mechanics. And that's uh, true to form now anyway. You know, everything's still tight digitally. I mean, who has the tightest IG game and the most content? It's always about content. And, and the shame about the music industry, the connection with artists, it's not the same anymore. You know, now you know more about an artist about their personal life and Cardi B's dating Offset and bought a $12 million home and she's getting a divorce, then you know about records. Before it was, you know, go see a group live 
and read the back of that album and listen to that music, the whole thing and groove out. Now it's, uh, you know, I call it microwave music. It's here for, you know, 30 days and then you're tired of it most yeah. of the time. It's, it's not, uh, we call it in radio research fatigue. A lot of records burn out quick. Like DJ Khaled, he's like the hip hop king with every star on it. His album drops a month later, it's over. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree because if you look at how music was programmed back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and depending on what market you were in, certain stations wouldn't play the same records everywhere. DC may have a record that Chicago's playing, not playing, or yeah, LA's yeah, not well, playing. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. That's what, you know, corporatization did over the years. Everybody started adding, you know, what happened in the West, Seattle had grunge music, you know. The South had something else. Detroit had Motown. New York hip hop was different than LA. But now you, you know, everything comes out of Atlanta and hip hop or there's this, there's different formulas now. And it's all based on visuals and not music. It's, it's what have people get signed off of TikTok, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, who gets signed off for nine seconds? Right. It's a new world. Yeah, a new age in the DMV market. Very legendary WHUR. Very well-known, well-respected radio station on the campus of Howard University. The home of the quiet storm. And the late, great Melvin Lindsay, responsible for finding of that format. And then Kathy Hughes, who later went on to find Radio One and TV One. And then in the movie Talk To Me, we have the late, great Petey Green, who was one of the first shot jocks. And I believe Petey Green's Washington was one of the first programs that aired on a little station that Robert Johnson founded in 1980, BET. Yeah, well, I mean, no, he was on well before that. Uh, you know, Petey Green was on Channel w, Channel 9, their first Channel 50. But uh, Petey was the man of the streets in D.C. When I got there in 82, he was sort of fading away. But what he did back during the 60s and 70s was legendary. You know, that's why they made a movie out of the brother, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. A great movie, if you haven't seen it, Talk To Me, starred Chedway Ejiofor, Don Cheadle, Cedric Entertainer, Taraji P. Henson. Definitely go check that out. And how did you end up getting on fresh on WRC? And this was back during the days when cable wasn't very... Well national and you had regional music video shows yeah yeah well they had a couple i was lucky i was in the nbc building at kys and i was approached by the television uh program director kathy mccampbell and um we put it together a talk show with you know young ideas and music guests like back then i had one show I had Stacy Ladder saw and Johnny Gill, you know, that was their first interview. And it would air Saturday mornings before the cartoons from nine to 10 or eight, or eight to nine, something like that. It was a good time. Yeah, I definitely remember those days because, you know, NBC, they had uh, Friday night videos, New York, they had New York hot tracks out of New York. Yeah. And 
this was back when music videos were still a scarcity and depending on what channel you watched you rarely saw black videos because that was the big thing that rick james made a deal out of with mtv in his early years where they weren't playing a lot of black artists yeah hey i remember i got to dc and that was we went out celebrating because when Michael Jackson, Billy Jean came on. I was at a club with Donnie Simpson, Wolf Trap. And it was like a big deal. MTV played Michael Jackson. And we were like, wow, what a racist world this is. And that was in the 80s. Yeah, because I had a chance to interview Nina Blackwood and I pressed her on that. And she was saying that, of course, MTV was following uh, AOR rock format, but you, your name is MTV. If you're just gonna play, let's say AOR or Top 40, then don't have it be including all forms of music. No, they were playing pop songs. They just weren't playing black artists. Let's be straight. They were playing pop. It wasn't all rock back then, but anyway, that's history. And we're at the point now where everybody's their own DJs. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you end up getting on at BET? Matter of fact, I was uh, on air at uh, HUR at the time, and uh, they asked me to come in and fill in for Donnie Simpson because I was doing a local music video, the music video connection on Channel 9. And uh, that was a top-rated show, and Lydia Cole called me in to start subbing, and they offered me the music director job, had me put in the software, and uh, later on, I became program director doing different shows. I was there for a good 10 years at BET. Always freelance, always had another job, but uh, got to do a lot of things, except when I came back to program. They brought me back to be program director, which lasted up until Stephen Hill got there and he came behind me with the knife. And... Right. Anyway. So so I'll tell you a funny story about um, BET's early years. I had a chance to interview Alvin Jones, right? And he was telling me that uh, when he was doing video vibrations, that I guess whoever was videotape operator put the wrong tape in the feed and it would be Scooby-Doo going over BET. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, a lot of errors happened at BET over the years. You know, Master Control and Chiron, you would always have the wrong titles with the wrong videos. It, it was a mess for a while, but it got together finally over time. Right. So when you were doing voiceovers for video vibration, soft notes, midnight love, was it where they would just cue the beginning and end points of each video and you would just lay the VT down? Yeah, uh-huh. I, I would make, uh, that's when I was programming all the shows. So I would just know what intros and what mood and, you know, it was, it's just like voice tracking a radio show now. I have a radio station in Orlando, The Wire, and I, I voice track 10 to 3. You lose your feel, but you can do your show in 20 minutes instead of five hours. And that's what Sirius XM stations all across the country are doing now, voice tracking. It's cheaper to have a voice come in and say, Power 105.3, this is... Uh, Jarrell Mason coming at you with the rhymes against, anyway, yeah, you know, and you voice that 
in 10 different markets in 20 minutes. Yep, and it is cost efficient for stations. Because let me tell you people, you can, like Mr. Porter said, you can do a three, four hour shift in an hour or depending on how good you are, you can do it even less. But you just have your points where top break here, liner here, stop set here, rejoin here, top of the hour ID, and you just repeat that cycle for however long your shift is, and then whoever does the traffic merges the logs together to make it all one big happy day shift. Happier. <laughs> that, that's how I said. I'm just I'm just lighting it up for the people. One big happy day shift. And um, so when you were subbing for Donnie on Video Soul, who were some of the most memorable guests that you had a chance to interview? Wow, you know, I remember the time I had Tony Braxton. That was the first time she came. She was real hot at the time. And uh, I co-hosted with Tony and I had Shanice. I had uh, Color Me Bad. I I had uh, Jimmy and Terry, Jimmy Jam Terry. I had a lot of people. Donnie would leave during the summer and whoever had a record out in the summer for two years had to deal with me, so that that was good times. Yeah, you know, and got to host a lot of parties and a lot of the hip hop artists that were breaking back then in the you know late nineties. Mm-hmm. So how was that like coming in where rap is dominant, and we have a lot of folks where it's like, okay, it's not what I grew up with, but I know this is what's hot, and I gotta. Put, put it on. Well, it's not what's hot, it's what's giving. You know what? It's just predictable how, you know, they killed the culture of R and B and jazz and, you know, the the sound of big bands. Big bands were big in black music for so long. The Earth Wind and Fires, the Cameos, the Commodores. You you don't know, you know, the latest band people know is mint condition and roots. It's like brothers and sisters don't play instruments anymore. Well, they took all that away and substituted it with hip hop because they could bring a dat tape and a DJ and a rapper and it was cheaper than bringing LTD with 11 members or New Birth with 12 members or all these big bands. And it sort of, it it killed the whole vibe of music, you know, and that's why I said we're we're in this microwave stage. Right, and the one thing I appreciated about BT growing up was that very community focused, very community driven with shows like uh, Our Voices, Lead Story, and Teen, Teen Summit, Summit, which yeah. was my favorite. And then also a Sunday morning would not be complete if your grandma, mama, or aunt had Bobby Jones on while they were getting ready for Sunday service. Yeah, Bobby was huge forever. I was surprised when that relationship finally ended. Yeah, because it was a cornerstone for BT, and also BT used to air a lot of HBCU football games, and of course, the big deal was the marching band. So BT. Oh, my man George Johnson was sports. He was classic. Yeah, I want to know. Do you know who was the person that always did the raps for Sports Page? That's who I would say, George Johnson. George. 
Yeah, I, I used to love. It, it was the Howard Cosell of BT. Yeah, the sports pages for the highlights. Um, video Soul, Video LP. Yeah. Shout out to Sherry Carter. Shout out to Madeline Woods. Shout out to everybody from BT and Happy Fortieth. So, how do you feel about the network being forty and its legacy? Well, I mean, BT really has two different networks. We're having a celebration online. And it's like, there's two BTs. One, everybody that happened in DC. And then when the move in 2000 went to New York, that was really splitting up BET for 20 years. It, it became part of the Viacom system. It was, it was different. So we're celebrating with the old originals. Not, nothing against anybody that came from the 106 and Park era. But it's a it's it's two different groups, the DC campus and New York. Mm, In DC, we were like a family. We were really, really tight. Mm. Like everybody hung out a lot of times. And it was uh, all people wanted to do the same thing in the same building. It was cool. Yeah, because I remember back in the day just seeing that logo with the B and the star and the bumpers were giving you a choice. That's when you knew the content, the programming was oh so good. Now, I want to give a big mention briefly for those of you that grew up in the Northern California, Bay Area, Oakland, um, the late Chuck Johnson, he had a network called Soul Beat. And it was primarily programmed for the African-American community in around the Oakland area. So I just found that quite interesting with what he was doing out on the West Coast, although locally for around the Oakland Bay Area. All right. All hail to the Bay. The Yay area, as for some of us know. So being in D.C., explain to those that do not know the importance of Go-Go. Yeah, I got to D.C. in the early 80s. And, you know, it was like new. I'm from New York. I was in school in Boston. So the Go-Go sounds of the cans and the, the drums and the beat, the constant rhythm, I wasn't like a big lover of Go-Go when I got there. And then as I heard it evolve, and there were the big records, the Trouble Funk records, and then, you know, years later, the Junkyard Records and EU and, you know, when Spike put doing the butt, it sort of went national for a little bit. But it's an underground mo- movement where Chuck Brown ran that city. He could go platinum in D.C. for 20 years, you know. So it, it's a different thing. And I'm not, I say I'm from D.C., but I'm from New York. I spent a long time there. But I'm not go-go deep. You know, I think that's something you have to do in high school. Right. And a little bit of connection from myself and Chuck Brown. Chuck Brown was actually born in the hometown that I grew up in in North Carolina before he ended up moving to D.C. Okay. Yeah, so a little bit of a two light degrees of separation there. So 1996 rolls around. And we have the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Now, how, in your opinion, did that one act change the landscape of broadcasting? Well, I mean, it just let big business. Uh, I, I think Clear Channel went from like 150 stations 
to three years later owning 1196 stations. Like, how do you grow that big so fast without, you know, taking away something from every city and keep making things smaller? It was the corporate takeover. It was the worst thing that ever happened. It was Bill Clinton, you know, it was jammed inside another bill and, you know, it changed everything forever. And over time changes everything. Technology has changed. But back then, the Telecom Act just made a couple of, there were no more Black-owned stations winning. Kathy Hughes came out. I was glad to be a part of her rise. But, you know, the localism was gone and all the syndicated. And, of course, Black folks were the first ones syndicated with time joining. Folks thought it was good, the fly jock but it just cut off local voices and local issues and you were limited to one guy. And, and that's the problem with syndication. We don't have those choices. I agree. And for those of you that don't know how Tom Joyner got the nickname Flyjock was that he was doing mornings on K104 out of Dallas. And then he would go do middays at WGCI in Chicago and would fly back and forth between those two jobs. That's how he got his nickname. Now, what I want to go into is that telecommunication that comes in, deregulation, and then all of a sudden we start to see consultants and national program directors saying, hey, we're going to work these same five to 10 songs in every market and forget regional differences. We're going to force feed, force feed, force feed. Yeah, but that's on the station. That's not on what the record companies do. And that's when companies decided to go in bed with record labels. You know, pay for play. I talk about it in my book, Blackout. It's the reason why you can't have a hit record on any radio station. You know, it's, it's how the system's bought for money. It's how the same record gets played, the same amount of spins in a city in Richmond, Virginia, and Portland, Oregon, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame, but that's how it's capitalism. It runs America and who pays the most gets played the most. And, and, you know, YouTube and the internet has given a different vibe because things can go organic and viral. But if you look at the main charts and the main spend, the same companies own the same artists all the time and they're all big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've known some jocks who told me that this was back when you had your indie promoters come to the stations to push a record, and they said, I was offered a mattress, I was offered money and other things in order to get this record on. And that's a dirty little secret as far as with how certain records get on is that, you know, palms agrees, you know, backroom dealings going on, you know, so... Yeah, and sometimes it's corporate. You know, when I was at BET, Def Jam spent $3 million a year. I would get a call from my boss to play something, and I turned down and say, play so-and-so's joint. They spent $3 million here. I'm like, wow, it sucks, you know, but played anyway. And, and that's how business runs. You know, we can't – it's not all organic, that's for sure. It's what people want to make happen, and you can put the dollars in to make it happen. 
Right. And back before corporate influence came in, DJs had the power to break records because I remember seeing, you know, jocks getting plaques for because of you, this record is gone platinum or gold or this album gone platinum or gold. And this was back when DJs pretty much dictated to they the still masses. give out platinum di disc, but yeah. Uh there there were a lot of people with power back then, but now there's corporate PDs. And companies like iHeart go off your streaming charts now. They don't even give that power. More program directors are administrative. Mm -hmm. So what led you to form your own station down in O-Town, Orlando, Florida? I, well, I wanted to start to, well, I always wanted a, a station in Low Power FM came in years ago during the Obama administration. And my partner, Paul Billings, uh, my boy had had an LPFM out in Muskegon, Michigan, and a couple of other places. And he said, man, you want to get a station in Orlando? It's a lot of paperwork, a long process, but I knew it could be mine forever. And it's been cool. We'll be on the air four years at the end of October this year. And it's it's a struggle. I mean, it's a different time for radio. We got low power, but we do a lot of good things. We got an internship program with the like local high school teaching some folk stuff. And we play hip hop and R&B. You can download the app, The Wire 985 Orlando, and you can get it iOS or Android. And how does radio have to compete with the current technologies with streaming and internet and knowing that your demo, depending on what you're trying to reach, the attention span may not be there where somebody's going to have a TSL. I mean, radio's older now. Radio's older now. Of course, they're still playing young records, but old folks listen to the radio. Young folks are not tuned into the radio. They're looking at streaming in your Instagram account. So it's just being aware of who your audience is and, and how to pitch them. Mm, I definitely agree because with streams and the way everything is now, I had a person share with me, a songwriter who shall remain nameless, had his biggest hit streamed at least over a million times. But once the ASCAP check came in, it was for a little less than 100K. And I'm like, wow, the numbers don't add up. Oh, yeah, but that's nothing. Millions are streamed to nothing. That happens on Jada Smith's page every day. You know, now I, I got a song uh, that my little cousin who I managed, we had a song called The Water Dance, Chris Porter, The Water Dance. Things done over 100 million streams in five years. Got real popular. People dance in the video. Got 30 million views in the first couple of months. But that's not going to make you rich either. You know, you got to have billions of streams, you know, and the average person never gets over 10,000 on anything. You know, 99% of records are losers. You know, when you, you talk about it, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard in today's landscape. Mm, so how you are you really playing it out? Yeah, so how are you able to push through to where it's a lot harder to stand out, whereas anybody that has an internet connection, a smartphone or a computer can come on and do whatever? So how do you sustain and have that longevity where everything is so quick, fast? Well, I mean, look, there's a zillion shows and podcasts like yours. 
and it's learning who the influences are, where you want to pitch yourself to get in certain situations. Look, I, you know, I've done a lot of activism and I've been on every major network. I've been on 140 countries across the world talking about music. You know, I've done Russia, everywhere else, but it's start, you just have to learn how to knock on more doors now, you know, and know you can break a record in Asia or get a podcast in Asia or become somewhere else. I have an app now, it's called Conscious Con. And, and, and it's just funny, you know, I'll send out a notification because I do this thing on there called Music Biz U. And I, I'll get, you know, a hundred, a hundred viewers from the UK and Asia, you know, that'll click in because you get to see everything on the app. And it's just funny. You never know where your fans or your business. That's why online businesses are so big because everybody can now get it across the world and you can't think local anymore. You can't think downtown Charlotte is my market. And it, it might be, but there's a whole lot within reach. You know, I've had a number one record in Dubai, you know, and Dubai is a big city. So you, 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 you got to just think openly. Yeah, and it's definitely a game changer with the internet and how it makes the world smaller, but it also opens up competition at the same time, whereas you're competing with not only who's in your neighborhood, but the world, and you got to constantly crank out content because if you don't, then it's on to the next. Yep, you got that right. Yep, on on to the next, like a, like a conveyor belt. So if you had to rank your top five records that would be in your permanent rotation, what would it be? Your top five permanent rotation records that well, I can I listen mean, to. Been, I got big records about my life. I don't have to hear them over and over again. But records that made an impact, I mentioned at the beginning, James Brown, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. That was just a record that spoke to me at the time because I just knew I was colored and Negro and the word black wasn't cool back then. Nobody wanted to be black. If they say, you black, you know, that's something white people called you. And when James Brown did it, things changed. You know, Maze Frankie Beverly, you just give me his whole live set, you know, from back in the day, joy and pain and happy feelings. Those were some of my coolest records, you know. Um, you know, one of my old best friends, a guy named George Howard, he was a soprano sax player. I used to like to listen to instrumentals. People don't know what instrumentals are and musicians anymore, they just know beats and the beauty of uh, uh, music. And I'm sort of on a brain lock, but this is certain songs that, you know, Donnie McClurk and Stand is like my, my, my nine minute and 24 second uplift song. And, you know, I might get in my, my car and put on Notorious Big Warning, <laughs> you know, if I'm feeling like I got to kick somebody's ass, you know? So, uh, you know, songs play a lot in my emotion and time and, and points that I was at in my life. 
And I, I journal it all in the book Blackout, my 40 years in the music business. Which is right here, and you can get it on Amazon, anywhere where you get your books. Is this also available in the ebook form, or is it just paperback? Ebook form, too, yeah. Okay. Kindle. Once, once yeah. again, get this. It's a great read. Definitely, if you want to get the inside know of the business. Real deal. Now, tell us a little bit about raprehab.com. Wow, Rap Rehab's been around about nine years. I started raprehab.com years ago. Because the new game about the music business is people ripping people off, trying to get people to pay for beats and management and promotion and what you need. And nobody does the research. So there's a section on there called Brain Food, Do It Yourself. I just tried to put the best information over the years. I haven't done much with the site, but it's just a treasure of information. And I think artists need to do, do more homework. They call it music business. And that's why I started this thing called Music Biz You. That's my online business and coaching and tutoring that I sit on the app. It's sort of like the replacement to Rap Rehab, where I do webinars and, and talk to artists. And sometimes I work with artists and build their brand. Because people just don't even understand the structure. So it, it, it's a journey, but I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that's missing too in the industry where you have artist development. Because back in the day, if a label felt that you weren't ready to be put out yet, you would get an artist mm -hmm. development deal and they would work you until they felt you were ready. But now they expect you to come in, what's your hits? What's your views? What's your downloads? Be already out the box, ready to be pushed out. Yeah, you got that right. That's why it doesn't last. It's all about quick burn, microwave, baby, microwave. Or fast food. It's like going to McDonald's, Hardee's, or insert whatever fast food company here. You get it, you eat it, you still feel empty. But if you go to your favorite soul food spot, your favorite spot where they're going to cook your meal, they're going to prep it, man, and it's going to take a while. you get me hungry, man. It's time for me to go eat. It's going to take a while, but once you have that meal, it's rib sticking, it's full, it's also oh good because it'll last you longer. All right. All right, now, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we conclude this interview? And also plug your social media. Uh, no, this, you know, the one thing I tell everybody is, you know, value your time. Like there's so much, like I go out and lecture at colleges from Harvard to USC to, HBCUs, and, and my current lecture, I call it the E-ratio. Uh, and the E-ratio, if you look it up, it's the amount of time that we spend on our mobile phones and social media uh, looking at entertainment or education on your phone. So the average, average person, white person, spends 50 minutes on entertainment and one minute on education on their mobile phone. The average black kid spends 200 minutes on entertainment and one minute on education. So I just want folks to lock down, yo, what's on this phone can be powerful if you take some real energy and stop looking at everybody else's dream and building your own and building up that knowledge. You can reach me at Music Biz U. Paul Porter, my book is called Blackout, My 40 Years in the Music Business. If you get it, uh, write a nice review on Amazon. 
And, you know, when I mail them from my crib, I put my number in every book. And I've got to talk to a lot of you over the last couple of years, and I appreciate it. And you can also watch the 90-minute special on C-SPAN, this Google uh, blackout, Paul Porter on C-SPAN. And that link will come up, and you can uh, pop down, and you'll, you'll get a real good feel. That matter of fact, it's sort of a little grimier than the book. I, I edited out a lot of stuff in the book, man, but I appreciate you having me tonight. And... Uh, Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, the book Blackout, you can get it wherever you get your paper books, your ebooks, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get your books. Ladies and gentlemen, the Captain Paul Porter on Beyond the Album Cover. And this interview will be available on all streaming platforms and video version on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash J5. Once again, Paul Porter right here on Beyond the Album Cover. All right, Paul, thank you. thank you so very much for coming on and doing this interview. All right, peace, man. Thank, thank you. you.